Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Kuko serving us up another hot intro. Siege, <clears throat> you are killing it, bro. Damn. It's on fire. Digging it, bro. I'm loving it, man. I'm loving it. I'm loving these intros. It's, it's just epic. I love it. Folks, it's roguenews.com. We are back. Roguenews.com. Roguenews.com. You can find us there. You can find us everywhere. Uh, you can also check us out on Twitter at Real Rogue News uh, on Twitter. Follow us there. And Rogue News on every single podcasting app. Don't you, Manny? Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Uh, this broadcast will be reposted onto our website shortly after it's done, as well as Rumble and every other site out there. We're also live on Stitcher, and eventually we'll make our way to Spotify. Just be patient with us little by little. Folks, uh, I'm going to put a little poll out there very soon. We're going to be doing something very unique, okay? Uh, would you guys join an amazing political platform that is free to join, free to discord, you know, to, to uh, participate and doesn't cost you a dime. And it's a great way to support creators. Um, and it's going to be decentralized, a decentralized autonomous organization. What is that? A DAO. And roguenews.com is being transformed into a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization. If you are interested in that, just hit number one in the comment section. Just hit the number one if you're interested in that. Again, don't cost you a dime, and it's going to be a decentral. The, re- the reason why we're doing that is we're making ourselves censorship proof. You know, we're putting the entire rogue news on the blockchain, and um, you know, this way nobody controls it. You know, at that point, roguenews.com will not be owned by anyone. You know, uh, we'll still, you know, we'll control the, the YouTube uh, channels and all the Twitch streams and all this other stuff. There's a whole bunch of technical stuff that we're still in control of. But the actual site itself where people could share it almost becomes like a, a decentralized social network slash political platform. It's pretty damn exciting and it's going to be pretty awesome. So with that being said, we have the one and only Crypto Cowboy with us. The gunslinger himself is here. Crypto CJ. Good morning, guys. How you guys doing? Doing good. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm hanging in there uh, on my second round of coffee. Uh, just had just been dealing with this. Uh, I don't know what it is. Allergy, cold, whatever the hell it is I'm going through. I've just been coughing all last night. Couldn't get up and go to the gym this morning. And I'm on my second cup of dark roast, man. Trying try to chug through the day. 
You know? Do you have schlong COVID? I have schlong COVID. <laughs> it's a close relative of monkeypox. I must have contracted <laughs> it when I was in New York. Yeah. <laughs> you know, those, they got those uh, bathhouses in the, in the Lower East Side. Hey, you better watch out, Karina Dow. You heard what happened to uh, that guy that, that was like the <clears throat> founder of MakerDAO, right? Yeah, but we're not selling any coins, man. We're not selling any of that. That, that guy <laughs> was out there like selling securities. <laughs> they killed him. They killed him? Yeah, so you didn't hear. Oh, you wait, know, he you committed. Know, oh, he died in Puerto. Give me the story on that guy. I, I think here, he I'll just bring himself. you the. I'll, I'll just put the link. I'll, I'll go ahead and. Why would they kill him? Like, what was so special? I mean, his fucking token is worth like two two tenths of a penny. Has stable like... coin. Yeah, but there's who uses a stupid stable coin? Nobody. Uh, I mean, I it don't know who uses no his stable coin. But <laughs> stable coins are hugely used on exchanges. No, I know, but it's not. Uh, this is not even in the top twenty. Or top one hundred of stable coins. I mean, am I wrong? I mean, just look at the the utilization of, of that token of this stable I don't know. coin. I, it looks I have pathetic, no idea. actually. I think uh, the guy got caught in something. Because look, let's be honest here, cowboy. A lot of these crypto nerds who are working on all these crypto projects are a bunch of weirdos, and they're into weird shit. And a lot of them are insecure. And they're into all sorts of deviant, shady shit in the in, in the download. Is it possible that he whacked himself off? That doesn't well, sound right. That he whacked I mean, himself. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's possible. <laughs> I mean, think I mean, about the CIA and the Mossad are after me. This is the guy, right? He's like, the CIA and the Mossad are after me. And they're using yeah. my ex-girlfriend to get to me. And uh, yeah, I, they're going to kill me. For what? Why would they kill you? There's a million know, stable like coins later. out there. Yeah, he, he's dead himself. a day later. He probably killed himself and tried to create some sort of a mythos. But tell me about him. Let me, let me hear what you... What you're, oh, that's uh... it. You, you said the whole story. I mean, I, I, we could even not share the screen. He's, you know, he's just saying. Where is uh, it? Share the screen. I'm pedo screen. elite. He's no, a pedo sure, elite. Yeah, okay, what did this yeah, guy say? Oh, it's Let's on see. Zero Hedge. Okay, what happened to this? What, well, yeah, I made it today? to Zero Hedge. I got it days before Zero Hedge, but it finally yeah, I mean, made it I heard, there. I heard about this. It says, see, he put uh, CIA, Mossad, pedo elite are running some kind of sex trafficking entrapment blackmail ring out of Puerto Rico and Caribbean islands. They're going to frame me with a laptop. Wow. Wow. Who doesn't know that at this point? Yes. He said they're going to, uh, well, a lot of people don't know it. Who doesn't know it in our community? That's another story, but the vast majority of people don't know it. Uh, probably even in crypto. Um, so, you know, we forget we're in this kind of, uh, and I hate to call us an echo chamber, but we're in this group of people who we have a certain, set of information and most people think we're completely nuts um but at the same time we are correct five years later so for us it seems common knowledge but you know it could be that he's got a big voice and uh you know they didn't like that and they put him down i don't know yeah i have no idea maybe he uh i mean to to martyr yourself a suicide for mythos i don't know i mean what was he like uh what was he terminal with something in any way i don't know I don't was know. he the founder or was the the, the it's, own, own the most they uh, said the, i read the, somewhere the, wallet, I find the network it. i mean see uh prominent figure suicided whatever i mean because obviously uh, he wouldn't be the first oh, right 29 year old founder of maker okay Make so so literally like there's been several of these happen right where somebody that owns the Entire network. They were the founder. Millions of dollars poured into it. They hold the keys. Who knows where those funds are? Exactly. And then these people go missing. They go whatever. And and and, and I'll be honest. If if I had five million dollars or ten million dollars, I'd fake my own death to go 
live somewhere and say hasta la vista to hasta people who didn't vista. do their due diligence and put money into these these uh, things. I mean, let's let's face it. Let's be re- realistic here. That once a dollar collapses, like price discovery within these cryptos doesn't matter. It really falls back to what will it, people are willing to negotiate for. Right? There's there, there's not going to be any price discovery. It doesn't matter what the price is or whatever. It's going to be basically what people are willing to barter and trade for it as we navigate through the, the dollar reset. All of these coins and, and tokens and everything are all pegged to the dollar, which what holds what value in the future? We don't know. So therefore, it falls back to a systematic of barter trade. And and if you need to go buy eggs or, or meat or whatever, and you have your, your crypto wallet, and you go and say, well, what can I give you my yada, yada, yada coin, whatever? It, it, it falls back to that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not being pessimistic. I think that's just reality. But we're going to go into the process leading to that. Actually, I have a, well, the title of our show is, uh, you know, exposing the feds lies. Um, you know, we're going to go into that, uh, what you just talked about CJ. So that's like a good primer, but I know that I did send that link over to private chat, uh, hobo sermons on a side note, um, actually sent us video of a protest in New York. They're protesting for Bolsonaro in New York. That's huge. So yeah, I don't need, I mean, that's not, not my wheelhouse well, at this point, so I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts. Hey, man, let's talk about your wheelhouse. Yeah. Mm. Look at that, dude. Brazil. There you go. They know. People know, man. Because here's the thing. A month before this, the Brazilian election, our head of CIA went over to the Brazilian government and told them that Bolsonaro should not contest the the results of the election. Well, that's not suspect at all. No. And that tells you, like, the fact that the Biden administration is going hard body and saying, hey, look, um, you know, Lula's the president. Uh, We support Lula. Bolsonaro should just step down, accept the results. It is what it is. Dude, this is like, come on. This is so criminal. Everybody, because it reeks to high heaven. I, my prayers and hopes are with the Brazilians. They can inspire the entire world. I mean, come on. This is, like, unbelievable, man. Unbelievable. And it's like, dude, it, it, we're going to have an election week next week. Notice I didn't say election day, uh, uh, crypto and CJ. Notice I didn't say that, right? I said election week. Because well, we can like certify a It's going to take weeks. Oh, right? yes. Yeah. Mass we can, we can certify lottery winners in 30 minutes. Oh, 100%. You know? Right after millions of people put in a lot of tickets, we get within within seconds. We we know exactly, you know how to how to uh, figure out a a a, a uh, lottery winner, but it takes days and days and days to count the election. But we have to remember, be you have to remember the millions and millions upon mail in ballots legally cannot be counted until the day of the election. <laughs> so stupid. Well, then I'll tell you what um, the easy solution. Uh, let's see if I can find this. First of all, they did. We, we now know that Republicans are evil. And I do have a mm. slide to show that. Go ahead. So let me go ahead and move that slide where it needs to be. Hold on a second. Republicans actually deny people their right to vote. Did you know mm. that? Yeah. And they rigged their they primaries. Do. Like, you know, I've witnessed it firsthand how they rigged their primaries. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. But I'm, I mean, let's let's face it. Um, Bring up the you slide. Know, Democrats, they're totally clean. They, they don't cheat. They they're as innocent as the wind. Uh, they're as pure as the wind driven snow, man. Yeah, no, they are. But as I'm, as I just shared in this slide, and hopefully it's big enough to see. I, I may see if we can zoom or not. 
Um, hey, zoom but in it, I'll read it out there. here. So how conservatives deny people their right to vote? Ooh. One, they require citizenship. Oh, Two, how dare they? How dare they? Two, they require identification. Oh my god! Three, they can only vote one time. Oh, racist! And then this last one is one of the biggest ones. Like, it makes no sense to me. You have to be alive. Oh, oh my god! That is egregious. 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 Right? It's, I mean, we have. I how dare they this. do this, man? I can't. This is, this I, is I just... anti. Anti, uh, morta- this is anti, uh, 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 mortality, man. This is like they're 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 dead people, right? This is this is a uh, uh, anti, uh, uh, necrosis or anti death because there are several dead people that are in Chicago that vote in every election, and this is this is being completely racist against them. Yeah, well, no, what it is is the Democrats love dead people. In fact, the uh, maybe that's why for- that's why they all got the hokey pokey. So there's well, think more about votes. this. the The term, like, if you break down, I don't know if it's Greek or Latin, but when you love something, it's Phil, like, yeah. uh, say, Philadelphia brotherly love, right? Oh yes. And when something is dead, it's necro. So they love dead people. So technically, they're necrophiliacs. Mm-hmm. Necrophil. Yeah. That's that's yeah. yeah. They so on to less morbid topics. Um, Real quick, because so, I think this is something that's starting to really take hold. That. You know, regarding a people's political beliefs, that the the entire system is rigged, right? Whether you're conservative or Republican, it it, it really doesn't matter at this stage that we're we're leading up to. And so, this is from cartoonist, you know, Ben Garrison, and and I think that message is really starting to grasp with people that it doesn't matter if you vote Democratic or Republican. It's they work in lockstep. It's two sides of the same coin. And this is a perfect illustration that people are are waking up to that they serve the same purpose, whether it's Democrat or Republican, but they create this illusion that like the house led Republican for two years. And then two years after that, it's democratic. It's just, you know, it's, it's just so unfortunate. Like even the candidates that are Republic running in re- the Republican primaries right now for Congress, like, or Senate, like I'm not like even excited about, about all, any of them. It's just voting for the worst of, of two evils through this, that it, it's just so unfortunate. We have this duality, duality in our country that we're, we're, we're fed into this, right? We're, we're conditioned to accept, this is the best that we can do for our Republic. So enough said. Well, I think we have to distinguish between conservatives and Republicans, right? If you have a Republican who will define a a conservative, define a conservative for me. Is it spending or what is it? I mean, I I'm having trouble. Is it, is it not spending on foreign intervention wars? I'm really having a difficulty establishing the difference between the conservatives and the, and the, and the demon crats. I mean, other than social. Okay. So listen, man, the the demon crats, they love conk. Okay. That's what a, that's the real differentiation here. The third, uh, the the diff, the distinction is between those people who call themselves conservative, but don't do th- conservative things. They're not they conservative. They not just conservative. call themselves conservative. Right. It's that's like being a, a a nominal Christian or a non-religious Jew or you know something like that. It's just like yeah, you, the, you, you the, hold the label, but you don't practice the tenets. The people who are who are voting for the wars or the people who are voting to, you know, whatever, all the things that CJ are is correctly you are complaining about that these quote unquote conservatives are doing that are not conservatives because they're not conservatives. They just call themselves that so they can get voted in. Um, You know, you have a few out there perhaps who, you know, are, say, less false than others. Um, But that's voting has always been, you know, choosing between in the great parlance of South Park a shit sandwich 
and a giant douche, I think is what it was. Um, that's just, it's the lesser two evils. You know, that's just that. So, you know, what we have in our corner um, is the ability to make fun of people. So if I can find some humor, that's actually one of the biggest ways that you can dismantle tyranny is to turn to humor. Um, so that's, that's, you know, kind of where I'm at with it. And in that vein, um, actually, before we get to the humor, I did get, I, I have uh, some feet on the ground, boots on the ground yes, over in Ukraine. Ooh. And I have some intelligence of some of their new What weapons. kind of boots are we talking about? Are we talking about the, the high heel variety or? Pink and furry. Actually, Pink they have furry. like a goldfish in the bottom of them. Right. Like it's a little boots goldfish tank. with the fur. Right, the right. with the fur. The whole um, crowd was looking at. Okay, good. No, this is for real, dude. So I've got, I have live footage of Ukraine now is no longer reliant on us. They're not? For their, uh, for their weaponry. Right. So oh, they're wow. actually, yeah, they're building their own drones. So let me go ahead and share a screen of that here. Hold on. Sure. Let's see if I can find the window. This is it. There's, there it is. Oh, <laughs> the kamikaze drone. Did you see that? That's how yeah, they kamikaze drone. <laughs> yeah. So that's Look the new that. Ukrainian drone. That's a, that is their actual, their strongest Ooh. soldier right there. And that's how they launch it. Well, I mean, right now they're, they're they're conscripting children, so this makes sense. I mean, can you imagine Vladimir Putin walking with his security entourage, and all of a sudden that that styrofoam kamikaze drone hits him? I mean, I don't oh, think I, the end I of the war. survive that. That's the end of the war. Yeah, that's it. That's it, man. And I also got now. I don't know if you know this, uh, V, but I actually found out that somebody was investigating you and they had video of you shit from inside your place and you were actually uh Cowboy, somebody please. actually threatened don't show you. this no 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 it's they threatened you you got you have to understand that oh you, you need to see this video because no one's ever seen it so here it comes oh shit see what that. happened put that up back that's uh, my it's my bad hold on i got it all right here it's you you run into the room really fast you go ahead and share it i'll show it oh god Oh, I remember. Did you bring that up? Yes, I remember exactly. That's the end of the video. I'll restart it. Here it yeah, comes. He, he just run in the room to, to bust their ass. Here it comes. Dude. Look at that slide. Look how I slide. <laughs> yeah, you slide right. right in, dude. So, all right, that's that's enough. I, I, I just saw the Hunter Biden laptop and I'm running for my life. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh yeah, so God. yeah, it's it, there are there were three um three ways identified and I, I talked about this video from time to time but you know, three ways identified to dismantle tyranny. One of them is parallel systems, which is something CJ you cover all the time talks about local economies, local currency if you can develop one. Um <clears throat> so there is you know, there are others but the or yeah, the other one I think is like spreading truth, but the third one is humor. And there's a reason that memes um, are powerful memes are powerful but there's a reason that stalin would have people killed if they made fun of them oh yeah because you know, they, don't, they don't like people making fun of them no they don't no, they don't don't so um on a quick bit of <clears throat> financial news let's see here oh thank god for the cough button man i had a freaking frog in my throat let's see here let me stop the screen
So we're going to talk a little bit about yesterday and the way, and this is a quick bit about how banks literally manipulate the market before you very eyes. Okay. So if you want to show me the news, I will show you the charts. That's some famous person said that. I don't know. But what that basically means is like, okay, the charts are going to pretty much tell you everything you need to know. You know, you're going to have some shocks that will have a temporary change in the general trend. But the general trend is pretty much telling you, you know, a lot. And what these banks do is, and the reason I never trade, especially when Powell is talking, but I never trade during any kind of significant economic event is because, okay, look, it's not legal for the large banks to push things around, especially in the, in the currency game, which I'm in, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time in Forex. And Forex is trading currencies like, you know, the dollar versus the yen, things like that. And if there's a large bank announcement, say BOE, Bank of England is going to do something, I don't trade the pound that day. Um, now, if Powell's going to talk, I'm out of the markets. Because what these large banks do, institutions, whoever they are, is they do something that is illegal, but they push price around to take out everybody's positions. And they, they use Powell's talking as an excuse. And it's almost as if, I mean, I'm not making any accusations here. I'm just saying, if I didn't know any better, because I trust the great Powell, he is as clean as a whistle. But if I didn't know any better, I would say he's in on it. Because, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because yesterday's announcement of the Fed rate, the Fed funds rate was an expected 75% basis point rise. Okay. So, you know, that was expected. Um, and what was expected, as I predicted, was that there would be um, some dovish talk directly afterwards saying, okay, now that we've kind of hit this point, we don't want to over tighten. We might be still hiking rates, but hiking them less. And that would be a bullish thing, right? And that's mm -hmm. exactly what happened more or less. And then afterwards, there was a giant rug pull where all of a sudden Powell starts talking about, okay, well, we're going to be hiking in the meantime. And he says all this very, 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 uh, hawkish language taking away the market exuberance that caused a major power up in in all the assets in the initial minutes afterwards so i mean uh, this article says it you can see it on the chart here but on, on the um s p futures but the best place to look at it i think is on one of my charts and let me go ahead and blow this up a little bit so so beastie boys um right here this giant move up. I'm going to put a square around it. Right after the announcement, all everything, crypto, you name it, all risk assets made this giant, these two white candles up. Those are 30 minute candles. So within the space of 30 minutes, the uh, euro moved up well over a percent. And that's big in Forex. A percent is in, in, in an hour is insane. Yeah. It's just, un, you know, that's nuts. And it went up and then immediately all of a sudden Powell starts running his mouth, his clean, pristine, never lying mouth. The wonderful guy he is. So perfect. So perfect. I'm sure. So perfect. Uh, yeah, I don't even, I'm not going to go there. So and then it went from uh, 99 down to 98. It, it, it lost that entire percent and more within the next hour. So this is what they do. Now, what had happened was a lot of people thought, okay, and, and I was among them and I was initially, I was correct. I didn't expect a rug pull, but a lot of people thought we would see, okay, what we expected 75 basis point hike plus a little dovish language saying, okay, you know, exactly like, like I explained before. So people, what they did was they entered 
you know, maybe before or maybe during the speech, maybe like right here, you know, I don't know, right, right before whatever. Right. So they, as soon as they either they gambled ahead of time or they waited for the announcement, they got in here and the price went all the way up here. Now, you did have some people who thought, no, it's going to be a bearish deal. So they entered here and they planned on the price going down. Right. So let's just say you're a bearish guy. You think, okay, price is going to go down, right? So you enter, you plan for it to go down. You have a stop loss. Maybe you say you put it up here, right above this, uh, right above this resistance right here. You put a stop loss, which is where most people would do it. Well, the guys who run the show know where everybody's stops are. They have it on their data. You know, if you have a, I don't know if even a Bloomberg terminal at $20,000 a month gives you that level info, it may. If you can afford $20,000 a month, you're probably somebody important. But they went ahead and they knocked out everybody's stops so they could go short. So, and without getting too far into things, this is a way that they can fill their orders and manipulate the price, right? So, and then for all those people who, you know, they wanted to, they knew they were going to push the price down ahead of time, but they wanted to get a bunch of bulls interested. So they created what's called a bull trap. So price went up, people you know, bought in, they got excited, and then they had their stop losses probably down below this or this support. So let's just say right there. So all the people who went short, they got screwed up here. All the people who went long, they got screwed right there because price came down and they got stopped out right there. And this is how they do it. So the this is a way that and you could say it's the fed you could say i mean i don't know you know shady characters probably all working together um i'm kind of along the the uh, uh london paul way of things when it comes to this kind of stuff it's not like you got you know a handful of guys in the cigar filled room you know i mean i think it's a little more complex than that but i think certain agreements are made I think people who have control are let know early, kind of like the show where we talked about gold and they were, you know, somehow these banks knew a year before to start accumulating gold when gold was performing terribly. Somehow they knew. So, you know, this is the lesson in trading is that insider trading is legal if you write the laws. Okay. So that's just a little, a little version of that, a little, a little taste of, of how traders need to know when not to trade. And it's a little taste of the, of the shadiness. And, and this is nothing new. It's been going on forever. And it's been going on in different uh, iterations forever. So um, I'm going to move on. And I just, I figured I'd give you guys a chance uh, to, you know, comment on this before I did, because we're going to start going into a little bit more of the cowboy style nuts and bolts. Um, and I'll try to make it entertaining. But before we do that, do you guys want to say anything? I know CJ's not here. He's not here. Uh, he, I think he uh, he had some CJ stuff to do. Oh, he might want, be back by now. He probably want to go defecate. Anyway, he had to use the like the medical term. <laughs> He's got to evacuate. <laughs> he has to go evacuate. <laughs> I think he's back. Uh, he, 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 <laughs> all right, cool. Now go ahead, man. Uh, get get into it for us, and then uh, okay. we could also touch base on inflation in a little bit. I got some uh, shocking uh, uh, poll. A, a poll that was done by Newsweek is absolutely shocking. But go ahead. All right. So, and this is gonna. This is actually our conversation today is about directly about inflation. Okay. So, oh, well, CJ's um, back. CJ, are you done evacuating? I am back. I am back from. Evacuating. Did you go? Did you want to go evacuate? I did. I did. Okay. Good. You feel nice. lighter? Okay. 
That's good. Like like uh, Floridians before a hurricane. So this uh, I like Catherine Austin Fitz. I think she does great work. Um, yeah, I could speak volumes on it. Uh, you know, Catherine Austin Fitz is uh, an attorney working for the government. I, I believe I don't even remember which branch has something to do with finance, and uh, she kind of, you know, discovered that ten trillion went missing, and she was traced. Department to of Education, so, I think she was a uh, Department of Education, I believe. See, what was health, health, oh. health and Human Services? I believe. Health and Human Services, yes, there you is go. HHS. Yeah, she's well aware of like what's going on with pensions, and I mean, I don't want to, you know, this isn't really about her, but I'm giving her credit, and in the end, it's actually she. Uh, John Titus does a great video. Um, he used to call like this kind of series mafiocracy, <laughs> mafiocracy now. Um, but it's actually the best evidence channel on YouTube. And I'd say go look it up. Term. That's a great term. Ma- mafiocracy. Isn't that great? Yeah, that's exactly what our government is. Oh, d- well, that's what all governments are and always have been. The, the difference is that they're the mafia who gets to write the law. And that's there's not that's as old as as time itself. So we're not, you know, we're not seeing the only thing new <clears throat> about what we're seeing is the technology. And, and, and according to Velas, and I'm one to, to agree with him, that technology, maybe 50,000 years ago, used to exist. <laughs> we don't know. Um, but the only thing new in recent history is the tech. Um, so what is, uh, anyway, so <clears throat> John Titus on the best evidence channel link should be, if not now soon in the description for this video. So I'm going to kind of shorten his video, throw in a couple of my own things, kind of like we did with George Gammon. Um, we have been saying here that QE causes inflation. Now, when they were doing QE, they were telling you, oh, it's balance sheet neutral. It doesn't create inflation. It's going to keep interest rates low. It's going to do this. It's going to do that. And it's going to save the world. And you know, you don't have to worry about inflation. <clears throat> I mean, they actually can say like, hey, look at the balance sheet. You know, this way, I mean, they can point to things and prove it, right? I, I mean, you know, surreptitiously, or I mean, uh, spuriously prove it. They can quote unquote prove it. But we here at Rogue have been saying this whole thing, that this is a lie. We've been saying it for years. It could be, you know, the, the uh, inflation can be, di- I don't want to say directly because this technically is a theory, but it's kind of almost, I mean, in the world of finance, what we're about to discuss today is not unknown. I mean, the money is completely traceable. So it's just that people, uh, and again, I, what I try to do on the show is I try to take these complex ideas and break them down so that people can understand them. And hopefully I do a good job, um, you know, and please approach me uh, in the Discord if you have any questions. And I'm going to take this um, unnecessarily complex idea of how QE works. I'm going to break it down so we can see how that money does end up causing inflation. Okay. So... The conspiracy is that we have financial interests saying to themselves and each other, how do you put and how do you print $3 trillion out of thin air and put it into the stock market and other high risk, high yield assets? And how do you do it without anybody seeing? That's the conspiracy. And we're going to discuss the theory behind that conspiracy. Remember, what's a conspiracy? Well, the Latin root is basically breathed together. So like aspire, perspire, conspires, two people kind of creating something together. And that's the pure Latin root. But what in the definition, it's like uh, you're, you know, two or more people doing something where other people don't don't know about it. A surprise birthday party is a conspiracy, 
right? The person whose birthday it is doesn't know. So they've made uh, conspiracy theory a dirty word, but we're about to discuss a theory around a conspiracy and it's very traceable. Okay. So how do you do it? You don't print uh, 3 trillion and put it in the stock market because that would be too obvious. You print 6 trillion. But what you do is you use our method of money creation, which we discussed in our show, I think last week. We talked about treasuries, might have been two weeks ago. We talked about treasuries going to the Fed. Fed creates the money, lends to central, uh, to commercial banks, and then commercial banks lends it out to non-banks. Okay, so we're going to go over that. I know I said that all fast. We're going to actually parse that out. We talked about it a week or two ago, and now we're going to talk about it a little bit more today with regard to how that creates inflation and how an, a, an apparent $3 trillion is actually $6 trillion. And to put it very simply, it has to do with assets and liabilities and what kind of banks are allowed to have both at the same time. So we have discussed how treasuries become money. The Federal Reserve gets treasuries, whether they get it on the run. We talked about that last week. On the run treasuries are newly minted treasuries from the Treasury Department. They're much more liquid, um, less encumbered. And then they'll use those treasuries to actually create uh, you know, dollars. And the treasuries are, in essence, a collateral. They're an asset on the balance sheet. Those dollars are lent to commercial banks. Now, technically, you have an asset. And technically, those are a liability, right? The, the actual bank account that the commercial banks have with the Fed holding those dollars that they just created. So let's just say you have like a $3 trillion asset in treasuries, and then you have a $3 trillion liability. Now they get to actually treat it as an asset, which is starts to make your head spin. So we're not going to go there. But then the commercial banks, they are different than the non-bank. Now what's a non-bank? You have commercial banks and you have non-banks. Okay. Non-banks can be where retail, like us, we bank at non-banks, you know, Bank of America, retail part of it. Those are non-banks. Pension funds, hedge funds, those are all non-banks, right? And in essence, a non-bank does not have direct access to bank accounts at the Fed. The commercial banks are basically an intermediary between the Fed and the non-bank. Okay. So the Fed gives dollars to commercial banks. The commercial banks will go ahead and use those dollars to create reserves. And then they will lend those dollars in turn to the non-banks. So in that, in essence, the Fed doesn't give money directly to non-banks. The Fed doesn't give money directly to Bank of America. The Fed doesn't give money directly to pension funds. It's not how it works. It has to go through commercial banks. Okay, so this is the way that they can say, "Oh, well, yeah, the uh, the three trillion that we created, it stays with the Fed. You know, it's it's not gonna it's gonna stay on the balance sheet." Well, okay, these are IOUs that end up going to the commercial banks, and then the commercial banks who are not required to hold. I don't, I don't even know what the reserve requirement is anymore. They can have $3 trillion in reserves, and then they can just make up $2.9 trillion maybe. I'm just making that number up, but it's probably close to true. They can just make up $2.9 trillion in IOUs and give to the, uh, the non-banks, Bank of America, or let's just use pension funds. So for non-banks, we're just going to use pension funds as, as an example because it is a, uh, well, it's a, I think cogent is the right word. It's a very germane example to what's going on right now. Um, so, you know, pension funds are non-banks, right? So you have this money that's printed out of thin air. Technically, technically, those commercial banks can actually print that same amount of money several times. So does that 3 trillion become 30 trillion? I don't know, but let's just say they only do it once. 
right? Because for example, I'm going to show you guys fed data that is going to compare the M2, the electronic money supply. That's, that's like 97 or more percent of all the money, maybe even 99.9. And I'm going to compare that to the Fed's balance sheet. Okay, we're going to get into that in a little bit. So actually, I think it's, it's okay to get into that now because I don't want to belabor and explain the same thing five times. So brief review of how this works. Okay, and we're going to add one more step to it. Fed has treasuries, whether they buy it um, from the treasury directly or whether they're given it by the treasury directly, or they might buy end the run uh, off the uh, off the run. I think I'm saying that right. Um, treasuries where they might buy it from, like, uh, say, mom and pop. They might buy it from people. They might buy it from, like, say, a company. They might buy treasuries from a pension fund to create new IOUs that go to their commercial banks. But the Fed gets treasuries either way. And then they create IOUs to give the commercial banks who then holds those in reserve and creates more IOUs out of thin air, literally adding to the money supply. We're going to just pretend they're doubling it. And then they give money to the pension fund. So you have 6 trillion instead of 3 trillion. I mean, it's kind of that simple, right? So when do pension funds get in trouble? Well, Pension funds, as most banks, they need to deploy all of their capital. So what does that mean? Okay, as an investor, I have right now a fair amount of dry powder. Dry powder is unused dollars, undeployed dollars, because right now dollars is a great place to be. Dollars are strong. Everything else is going down. Inflation's eating away at them, but inflation eats away at dollars slower than it eats at everything else because everything is going down. So it's the dollars, the cleanest uh, dirty shirt in the laundry in many cases. You know, unless you're somebody like me who goes in and, you know, pulls a bunch of money out of the market in a few hours, that's, you know, that's a different story altogether. So <clears throat> I lost my track here. So with the pension funds, they can't have undeployed capital because that's called opportunity cost. If you have dollars that are not making any money, if you have dollars that are not building more dollars, they're losing money in their mind. And that's a term called opportunity cost. That That's one of the few good things I learned about economics at university, actually, probably in high school. So they need to deploy their dollars, which means that their assets need to match their liabilities. So quick definitions time. So people can take a breather and understand what an asset is and a liability. Okay, An asset is something that works for you. It's making you money. A liability is something that works against you. It's losing you money. For example... In your own personal finance, uh, an asset might be gold. You know, gold, it appreciates over time. It's been doing pretty well compared to a lot of other things. A liability is going to be, say, uh, a car, because cars generally depreciate in value. So, in the banking sense, a pension fund is going to have assets that look like treasuries, cash, um, you know, maybe. Uh, some money invested in some safe funds, things like that. Those are their assets. These are things that can count on their balance sheet towards a positive number, right? Now, the the, the things that are liabilities for a pension fund are going to be pensions themselves, among a few other things, right? So they, they all have a few different liabilities, but one of them is the pension. And that's the whole idea. It's not, you know, the whole idea is to have that liability. That's why a pension fund even exists. But when you're assets out uh, eclipse your liabilities by too much, then you're going to have to take on more liability because you're not deploying your dollars. So it almost kind of equals out. However, one of the problems with 
the pension funds is that they've been cramming money into investments like ESG. And we talked two or three weeks ago about the problems with ESG because in this fake world of very low interest rates, they were just cramming money into ESG to force the price up. And therefore, they could predict for at least until things fell apart, they could predict that ESG would go up and they were doing it at seven times leverage and everybody was doing okay. Well, now that's not the case. Money got more expensive. Things started to fall apart. Pensions are in trouble. We saw that with the Bank of England, right? And it, it's it's everywhere. Pensions are a nightmare if you look at the numbers. It, it's like, a, I mean, pensions will pop under the just, you know, I don't know. they uh, there could be several events I can think of that would cause pensions to go under, right? So, you know, that said, what they do is the pension funds need to get a little bit more risky because there's no yield anymore because we live in a fake fire economy like V always talks about. So all these pension funds, even your sovereign funds, all your everywhere is yield starved, which is why they're going to go to crypto. And I'm sure V will talk about that later. But um, so what they'll do is that they'll take their assets that are not making them as much money, say like their low yield treasuries, the off the run treasuries, the mom and pop treasuries that are a little bit more encumbered, and they'll sell those treasuries to the Fed. Now, the Fed is not allowed to take those treasuries, create IOUs and give it to the uh, give it to those non-banks, give it to that pension fund. And because the Fed is not allowed, and this is key, this is the crux, this is where the lie is told. Because the Fed is not allowed to take treasuries from the pension fund and give that pension fund IOUs in return that they can deploy into more risky assets to make a higher yield to offset their pension fund, the actual pension, well, that's why they can say, hey, we, you know, we're that $3 trillion stays in our balance book. We can't put it directly into the market. That's not how it works. Okay. So we talked about the mechanism already. What they'll do is they'll give IOUs to the commercial banks. And those commercial banks will all of a sudden have more IOUs. And they'll all of a sudden be able to give those IOUs in return in turn to that pension fund. So it's basically money laundry. It's like all it is. There's no other term for it. They're, they're, they're lying to you. And, th- and, th- and this is the whole thing, Cowboy. This is like when one of my colleagues said it best. is like corruption in the United States is legalized. Yeah, it's legalized from everything. Everything. Like, this is not going to end well. Like, when I look at, like, when you and I look at these metrics, these numbers, and then we correlate those metrics and those numbers with the systems and the infrastructure that holds it all together, when this thing breaks, it's going to be catastrophic. Well, now that you said that, uh, let me go ahead and show you the numbers. So, what we're looking at on the screen is the Fed's balance sheet, right? Now, you remember how that, that, oh, yeah, we're going to let assets fall off the balance sheet? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so this goes back to 2008, right? Balance sheet was pretty stable. We had the great financial crisis. Fed had to take on through TARP um, some assets uh, and basically nationalize a bunch of banks. Um, and then the balance sheet stayed kind of stable, but still rose up. It still kept going up over this period of time, all the way through 2020. And then we had 2020 COVID crash. Yeah. And then the Fed's balance sheet went up really high. So what does that mean? Now, let's back up a little bit. When the Fed's balance sheet is rising, what that means is the Fed is taking on more debt. Now, they can pretend like they're not using it to fund the stock market. But we know now because of this conversation that the probability is pretty high that they're just washing it through the commercial banks to go ahead and give it to the funds who will then put it into the stock market. Right. Yeah. So that's yeah. the laundry comment. So. What's the th- 
even after 2020, that balance sheet just keeps going up and up and up. So now I have the cursor. It might be hard to see because the screen's kind of small. We got the rogue news icon right there. So let me see if I can, I'm, I'm going to undo something here. Let me see if I can just, okay. So now that I've moved it down, as the mouse goes up, as the cursor goes up, and I'm going to zoom, can I zoom this? Hold on a second. I don't want to zoom in. I want you guys to see the whole perspective. So it's going to be kind of hard to see, but just squint your eyes and look. We're going to do quantitative tightening. We're going to let assets fall off the balance sheet. Oh, really? Yeah. So this little tiny dip right here that my mouse is doing, that's their quantitative tightening. That's nothing. That is nothing. This is the Fed's effing balance sheet. This is their assets. You have this for years, for decades, we have this kind of slow move up. You can even draw a line through it and say it's kind of like a, you know, a pretty linear, more or less move starting at, at least from 20, uh, 2008. But then you have this explosion and then now they're doing all this lip service about we're going to let things fall off the balance sheet and it's just a little beep. So from 2020, COVID crash, I think this is in trillions. The balance, it's actually in billions, but it's, you know, 4,000 billion. So yeah, four and a half trillion dollars Fed's balance sheet back in 2020. From 2020 to uh, 2022 in April, it doubled to $9 billion. Now, what they've done is they're saying, oh, we're going to take uh, assets off the balance sheet. We're going to do this, all this lip service. It's like maybe, at, I don't know, 8.7 trillion. <laughs> in the in the several months in the six months since they so they go they go in like a year they double the balance sheet from four and a half to nine trillion and then in six months maybe in two years and then in six months they say they're going to do all this tightening and they decrease it by like nothing so now here's the last one we'll look at and it's the money supply um i i tried to do these together this actual um program that they have here online is pretty cool you can combine the charts together. But for some reason, uh, it didn't allow me to do that uh, just because I don't know what I'm doing, which uh, is something a person should never admit, but it's a technical issue. So this is the money supply. And I don't know why it's making it half the screen because it wasn't doing it last night, which is rather annoying, but I'm just going to move forward. Okay. So the money supply, the M2, this is electronic money all the way through to the present date. Let's see if I can fix this stupid deal. See if there's a pop-up in the background somewhere. There may be a pop-up that... Yeah, maybe. I, it, this like is your, so annoying your, because your I... Your browser's this... blocking it, I think, but it's still... Is it? I don't... Maybe is not. It? Maybe not. It's. I mean, it, it would usually give me a... Yeah. Well, okay, so the screen's half the size, right? So they're telling you that printing $3 trillion is not going to cause... It's going to stay on the Fed's balance sheet. It's not going to make its way into economy right? So is that true though? Because what we're looking at is M2. M2 is the monetary supply. It's electronic money in the banks. It's probably 99% of the money out there, right? And we can see kind of a linear move from 2000, even 2008, it stayed linear. Yeah. So they printed a trillion dollars, maybe more. Um, it might it increased a little bit, the, the trend, right? But it still stayed kind of linear, not full on hockey stick. So if you were to follow this trend to 2020, and 2020 is this point where you can see it really spike up really hard, right? Now, if you believe the Fed, then you can kind of extrapolate and it's not going to change the trend. And it should be at about 17, 18,000, uh, what is this, billions? So trillion, right? So the money 
out there should be around 17, 18 trillion dollars if you extrapolate on a logical basis. But instead, it's actually about three trillion higher than it should be. Now, what did we talk about was the number that they printed? It was three trillion dollars, mm-hmm. but it's not supposed to make its way into the market. And at the same time, <laughs> we have an unexpected three trillion dollars that magically made its way into the market. It's uh, how did there. that happen? How did that happen? My Do God! You believe in magic? Oh. Do you believe in magic? Dude, like a good. <clears throat> I don't. I was going to say something really bad. They're such bad liars. Well, I don't know. I, I look. You don't have to be a good liar when you convince your population to like care about the three thousand genders that exist. Well, that's important. They need representation, man. This all distraction, and and this this left right thing that that CJ uh, very uh, appropriately talks about. That's a distraction too. Uh, the the elections. You don't, COVID, you don't believe you don't believe that COVID was a distraction. Oh, absolutely. I, I believe there are. I don't believe there's three thousand. I believe there are three thousand and twenty. Bitch. Oh, yeah. I created twenty myself this morning. <gasps> yeah, but the, because but the Twitter. It's, it's, uh, the Twitter you heard about yeah. the pronouns for the Twitter people. CJ. Yeah, CJ, the the, you, the, you uh, the Twitter that. employees that are being fired on Friday are quickly learning that their pronouns are uh, was and were. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> It's yeah, a meme. I'm, I'm getting my phone connected so I can bring up some of these images right now. Good. Yeah, it's. I, I actually. Okay, so we, you know, please review what I said because we don't have a lot of time left in the show, and I want you guys to weigh in on this. You know, V, you were talking about inflation. Um, you know, the the review the show if you want to see how the lie is told, because I went through a lot of info really fast, but in the end. What it is is when they have they clone the money, yep, through the commercial bank. So you have three trillion dollars that technically stays on the balance sheet at the Fed, but then the commercial bank through fractional reserve banking is allowed to clone that, and then it makes its way into the market through the non banks. So they can say that it's still on the balance sheet, but it's really there. And we just showed you the math right in front of you, where the monetary supply, if you extrapolate the trend, has about three more million or three more trillion dollars than it should. We've done that on this show. So I'm going to yield the floor to you guys, and I'd love to hear your opinions. Excellent. Gonna, excellent oh, program. Share no, definitely. I, I'm going to share with you everything. You know, it's funny. Like, I never shared this with you, and you talk about something, and then it, it touches, uh, you know, I was like, let me get a little tidbit for the show today, and, lo- and look what I had ready to go. Uh, I'll pull it up. And this is terrifying, Right. Majority of Americans back new stimulus checks to combat inflation. And basically what this pro, what, what this poll was showing is the majority of Americans don't even know where inflation's coming from. Like, we're so financially illiterate. And that's the reason why, Cowboy, you know, that the majority of Americans don't even understand what's happening economically because we're so economically illiterate, right? Majority of Americans support the idea of new stimulus checks to combat inflation. According to a poll conducted exclusively for Newsweek, survey found listen, listen, 63% of respondents said that they agree, with 42% saying they strongly agree when asked if the federal government should issue new stimulus checks to tackle inflation. Unbelievable, man. Unbelievable. But is yeah. it but is it misguided though? I don't know. 
I mean, I don't know. I mean, let's break this down a little the bit. The poll was conducted um, by Redfield and Wilton Strategies between 23rd of October and 24th. Surveyed 1,500 eligible U.S. voters in the U.S. I don't know where they surveyed them, but the inflation, the economic concerns, the key issue for Americans, but they don't know where it's coming from. Well, well they I want mean, to use more it, fire but, to put out the fire. Yeah, more sense. fire to put out the fire, but in terms of of uh, directly impacting. Uh, the the U.S. consumer as well as uh, uh, the 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 retail or, or purchasing, I think it's it's a it's a it's a challenging thing to discuss. Never, I would never advocate you know for socialism. However, I do get frustrated when I see our government issuing you know you know thirty forty. What what are we up to in Ukraine relief now? We're probably up to at least coming close to a trillion dollars in relief. Uh, for that and we know that those funds don't exist it's just magically created so one could argue like would you rather those stimulus checks be produced to affect americans now granted it's going to be inflationary right there's no there's no we can't dodge that it's inflationary versus the inflation that's going to offset these foreign intervention wars it's 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 a difficult conversation um and i think that's why like if, if if it was myself and it was was asked like to do a stimulus program for an additional you know thousand dollars to to Americans to you know to keep the lights on to put food on the table versus spending sending trillions of dollars you know to Ukraine or even to the corporations which a lot of the COVID relief did right a lot of those loans that were guaranteed through COVID were granted out and then literally written off by our government so it was another stimulus program that falls back. Fall back on the on taxpayers, it it it's it's it, it's a fine balance, and I'd I would rather um, see the money that's being doled out by our government, literally printed overnight, uh, helping helping your average American who's who's struggling right now to to uh, make ends meet, you know, versus the endless printing and and sending money to to Ukraine. It's 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 beyond the level of stupidity. Like we all know, like our listeners know here on the podcast know that it's. It's basically like just burning money, right? Sending money to Ukraine, right? So just burning money. It's not going to achieve anything other than the corruption that's occurring with those monies, those funds that are going over there. Uh, so yeah, I, I I understand why the majority of Americans support that versus versus uh, spending money overseas right now. Yeah. Well, the uh, so the bigger picture as I see it, <clears throat> when it comes to do we go ahead and keep the money here or give it overseas? Um, the financial interests have, in a sense, two different choices. The ones in America, they can develop technology and industry here in the country. And as that happens, and as our currency gets stronger, they're going to have to compete internationally because other countries can produce things cheaper. So they want to go ahead and put their hand in the cookie jar and produce things in other countries for a lot cheaper. And they can make more money. Now, what happens then is all of a sudden, um, you know, you need like a navy to protect the shipping lanes. Um, you need a military to, as a General Smedley Butler said, you need the military to purify, you know, certain areas for industry to go in. And now all of a sudden you're involved in foreign wars just for the profit of some corporations and you're sending young people to die so old men people and a very few old people can profit. So this becomes a model that may have started, I'm not going to say <laughs> innocently, 
but it may have started just as a matter of course and just turned into something completely different where foreign wars are, are done to destabilize other countries for financial interest. And it, you know, ends up costing a lot of money and doesn't make any sense. And a lot of people die. Right. So what's the choice? Well, we start to develop our infrastructure and our industry here, and we take on protectionist policies. Right. And then all of a sudden, every you know, other countries do the same thing. We're not able to sell our goods outside of the country. We have to rely on ourselves. Um, you know, and the people who run things can't make as much money that way. So the reason that we're sending monies out uh, either spending it on wars or spending it on proxy wars or spending it on protecting shipping lanes with the Navy or all those different things is so these corporations can capitalize on greed at yeah. the expense of American industry. Well, so, you know, I am more for, I'm more for free trade. Um, but you know, that's like a nice, happy thing to talk about. But in the reality, if you don't have a Navy to protect your ships, then the trade's not going to be so free, you know? So it's, it's kind of a nasty equation to have to do. Yeah. So in a sense, I would say be protectionist and have free trade within your own borders. You know, well and, and, and in a sense, you trade with your neighbors because it's a lot safer to trade Mexico, Canada, things like that. So that's 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 the way I see it. Yeah. And, and, you know, protectionist Trump was protectionist. Yeah. You know, a real quick tie in and in regards to, you know, Fed and monetary policy uh, that you pointed out Um Cowboy, which was a great, great information, was we remember 10 years ago, remember the terminology stress test mm -hmm. banks? Do you guys remember yeah. that? Yep. And we, we came to the realization that many of these banks, the largest financial institutions failed these stress tests. And it was basically these stress tests were determining whether the banks had the financial reserves in hand to offset the liabilities, liabilities, including, you know, credit cards, loans, et cetera, et cetera. And when, in these, when many of these banks uh, could not meet those stress tests, what they did was they basically rewrote the rules. And this pretty much went like undiscussed. But back in 2020. You're um, referring to the crapo bill. Yes, yes. Yep. But yep. basically what the Federal Reserve Board did was to basically eliminate. And this this uh, link, it's to the Federal Reserve. I'll, I'll post it up here in the chat room here in just a moment. Basically, They, they neutered Dodd-Frank. Uh, basically changed the actual reserve requirements of those banks to 0%, meaning meaning there was no deposit requirements within the liabilities that these banks were, had exposure to, you know, because it, because they had to, they, they had no other choice because they realized that this, 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 it, it's, it's a magical formula. You know, I can, I can, you know, uh, speak to it because I worked in, uh, manage one of the largest commercial banks uh, here in, in uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. It was, you know, transaction wise, we were off the charts. We did anywhere between like eight to 10,000 transactions per week. The largest commercialized uh, bank, you know, we were right in this, the epicenter of Indianapolis. So we had significant amount of commercialized uh, uh, funds coming in. So for example, like we did the uh, Colts where the Indianapolis Colts complex, the vending company that, you know, managed theirs, they would bring in, you know, 35, 40 K cash, you know, for, for a deposit on a, on a, on a weekly basis, right. Depending on if they're the Colts played at home or not. So it was very significant. So where I'm going with this is that the deposit requirements that we had, we had thresholds that we were meet, we had to meet. So on our dashboard, you know, so let's say for example, the deposits that we brought in in cash for that week were um, 800 K. So 800,000. 
we would have a dashboard that told us literally like how much cash we could manage within our bank. And the threshold was no greater than a 10% variance that they dictated. Not me, not me there at the bank saying, Hey, we got to meet our depositors requirements. If somebody comes in and says, I want all my money out of my, my account, uh, could we meet those demands? And those thresholds are so far off gone. So like in this commercialized bank that I had, I think we had a cash limit in our vault of maybe 450, 450,000. And, and we had a 10% variance. And if we didn't ship out cash, meaning that if we got to like more than that 450K in our bank, if we didn't ship money out to wherever it magically goes, when Brinks would come in and take that cash out, we got penalized. And what that penalization was, it affect my bonus. It affected. So, so the idea of thinking that like your, your balances that are reflected in your, when you log into your account are actually there in your bank is absolutely ludicrous. The funds are not there. <laughs> and most no. people think that they do. Most people think like, Oh, these banks have like, <laughs> these banks have like trillions of dollars back in their vaults and everything. They don't, yeah. they don't because, because they find ways. And that's just, you know, an easy example. Now, another thing that's very interesting that I found, and this is something that I did not take into consideration. One thing that COVID-19 did, it actually like lowered in half the people that were unbanked in our country. Meaning, you know, you, we talked for a long time, like get your money out of your bank. It's not safe. Do you even need a banking account to, to operate? One of the things that COVID-19 did was because of the, the stimulus checks, people realize that like I can get my money a lot quicker if I actually have a bank account that I can operate in. So one of the things that COVID did was to actually lower. So I'm just going to just real quick and brief. So whenever they issued the payments for the COVID-19 pandemic contributed to a drop in the number of unbanked household in the U.S. in 2021, uh, the FDIC is reporting that an estimated 4.5% of Americans represented between 5 to 9 million household lacked a bank or credit union account in 2021. That re represented the lowest national unbanked rate since the regulatory began tracking the data in 2019, or I'm sorry, 2009. The FDIC said in its 2021 national survey of unbanked and under underbanked households. And then basically what happened was once COVID happened, that number dropped down. So roughly 1.2 million households are, are banked compared with 2019 data. That significantly lowered. So so it, it, it goes back to as to why the government is doing what it does. So basically, whenever you get dependent upon Social Security benefits, unemployment benefits, um, disability payments, Social Security, you literally get locked into the system. Um, and it really dictates and helps. It helps them by all means, because even though they don't have any deposit thresholds, it just helps them in the long run. So I, I thought it was very interesting to point that out in regards to uh, COVID, because I think that kind of like went underreported as far as what it did to actually the the people that were had to have bank accounts because of the stimulus. Oh yeah, I had I didn't even put that together, and I saw where you were going with it, and it was hard not to be like that guy in the class raising his hand, you know. Um, but so the stress tests are an interesting scenario. Um, Crapo is a senator out of the great state of Idaho, and when 2008 hit, Dodd Frank was put in place. And Dodd-Frank was there to um, basically limit the type of risks that banks could take on. And so, you know, banks were being very risky, made a bunch of money, then people lost money because of that risk, right? Because they were bad risks. So Dodd-Frank was neutered.
And it has some long, boring financial name, but it's, it's the Crapo bill. And what they did was they limited those stress test requirements to banks that had, I think it was like $250 billion or more. So in a way, it helped out the, the smaller banks, allowed them to be a little bit more risky. Um, but it also kind of is it's holding a lot of banks less accountable. I mean, what do you, I haven't looked at the numbers. I'm kind of spitballing here, but I wouldn't be terribly surprised to see if maybe um, a larger bank was controlling five smaller banks that had $220 billion in assets. So they <laughs> can all work together and not hit that $250 billion threshold. I'm just saying that I'd be interested if anybody knew that to be the case. Um, but the other way that they neuter it was eliminating the reserve requirement because the reserve requirement was something that kind of allowed for the stress test. Now, arguably, what the reason they can eliminate the reserve requirement is because if the banks need money, they could just print it from the Fed, from the, from the commercial banks. So it's kind of like, you know, they are making bets based on the way things are. But if the way things change, the way, if the way things are changed drastically, those things don't work anymore. Right. So you can go and, and basically run naked backwards through a cornfield because you don't have to have reserves right now because they could just print the money and you have a shield on your back. Right. But if things fall apart and that shield's gone, you still got to run backwards naked through that cornfield. It's dangerous. Very dangerous. Yep. yep. I, I liken it to a briar patch personally. Mm. Yeah. Not good either way. Absolutely. Gentlemen, we're at the end of the show. She that was a great breakdown, buddy. Cowboy, that's a great show. Good, good job, buddy. CJ's on fire. Yeah, he's no, like doing awesome CJ, breakdowns. That was he's like a... mixing up awesome intros. Oh, the int- the intros are a lot of fun. I I enjoy putting those things together. I should have been a I, I'm videographer gonna, or something. I'm gonna, like I'm gonna that. get you a bouquet of chicken wings, bro. <laughs> <laughs> An arrangement hey. from different locations, right? Yes, like, yes. One from the L, one from the friendly. Yeah, why don't Why don't we start like an edible arrangements for men? You get like a bu- uh, you get a Ooh. bushel of chicken wings and, and a case of beer. Oh. Wouldn't that be a great yeah. business idea? Steak as an appetizer. Oh my and god! Wings. And a bundle of uh, a bundle of cucumbers if it's in San Fran. <laughs> oh yeah, we'll we'll give vegan options in San Francisco. Yeah, as long as like yeah. um, as long as like uh, ranch or blue cheese isn't the lubricant. But, oh, why is he? Oh, <laughs> oh you just killed it. <laughs> well, he said oh. cucumber. Like, what are you going to do with that? Oh my it's a God. condiment. Oh, okay. Oh, condiment. <laughs> oh, my God. Guys, great show. A lot of fun today, folks. Tomorrow, who are we having to? Is Vela's back tomorrow, Siege? Vela's is back tomorrow. Yes, Vela's will be here Vellis at 11 a.m. is back. And then we have... The ma- the American in Russia, the one Tim Kirby. Tim yeah, Tim is. I think two or three p.m. We got to confirm which time. Yeah, yeah. I think he yeah. did. Let me check. Okay, uh, yeah, because there's six hours ahead, PM. right? Three p.m. He's confirmed for three, 3 p.m. tomorrow. Okay, cool. Tim Kirby, the American in Russia, tomorrow along with Velas. And today you've had the Crypto Cowboy. And with that being said, folks, uh, if you need to find where crypto is, always uh, just email Siege. Type in uh, CJ at roguenews.com and then put in Discord so he knows what the topic is about. 
And the CJ will give you the link to join the Discord. Cowboys always lurking in there. So, you know, it's a great place to, to grab him, ask him some questions. He's one of the best technical traders I know. So that being said, CJ, take it away.